0: Uh, I look at what I did over those that 90-day plan and then into my first year across six major areas. I think what really was key is my focus on people and the organization.
1: Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go!, The show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Last fall, I wrote an article for Forbes about the four conversations a CIO should have in their first 30 days. The article was aimed at IT leaders new to the role of CIO or those that were starting as a CIO for a new company, as these are critical and pivotal moments Affecting the trajectory of one's career and their legacy. In order to dive a little deeper into this topic, this week we are kicking off the Status Go First 30 Days series, covering the CIO's journey, whether they are in their first 30 days in the role or a veteran looking back at what they'd wish they'd known coming in. Today we're joined by Warren Lennard, CIO of Byrider an operator of over 150 buy-here, pay-here vehicle dealerships across the U.S. The majority of these are franchise-owned. Warren has been with BuyRider for about a year and a half. We're going to talk to him about his first 30 to 90 days, but we're also going to talk to him a bit about the last 30 days or so and the impact COVID-19 had on the business, his department, and his plans. Welcome to the show, Warren. Thanks, Jeff. Happy to be here. Appreciate the invite. Hey, first and foremost, Warren, how are you and how is your family?
0: Um, I think like anybody else, the family is hunkered down. Uh, School has been um, whittled down to e-learning, and I think uh, my wife is going steadily crazy. But other than that, (laughs) we're all good. (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of spouses that are going crazy. We're going to learn a lot about each other in these uh, in these close quarters. That's for sure. I am glad to hear that everything's going as well as can be expected. Where are you? that is good. Thank you. Before we get into the last 30 days, I want to focus on the beginning. So, can you give us a bit of your story? What led you to the IT helm at Byrider? Sure. I'll kind of go back to the very
0: beginning, if you will, and take you through and wind it out. I went to school uh, way back in the day. (laughs) Uh, You're not as old as I am, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know about that, but graduated um, back in the day with a computer science and applied mathematics degree. And it was an interesting time, really, in the evolution of technology. And when I really have thought about this a lot, uh, I'm not saying that you know, I graduated in the most unique time, but it was very unique in that it, it was the mainframe world. Mm-hmm. And when I graduated, it was right on the cusp of when the PC had been launched into the market. So yes, when I was in school, I used cards for submitting my code, and I' dropped <laughs> boxes of cards like everybody else who lived in those days. Um, but when I graduated, the market was, and probably a product of the baby boomer generation. Was saturated with computer science graduates in a job market that just didn't have enough jobs. And so trying to navigate through a sea of companies that were looking for people with experience, new comp sci grads, you know, kind of found themselves in this conundrum of how do I get experience if I need experience to get a job? And that was a very tough time. And as a result, My first job was with a retail company, but not within what was then called the MIS department. Yes, it was called Uh that back then, but a retail company associated dry goods. And I was hired into the international operations department. I was to be their liaison between MIS and the business group. And as everything up to that point, it it was all mainframe and word processing systems. But my responsibilities quickly expanded so that I was heading up all of the data entry and word processing for that department. And so began my leadership career in my very first role out of school. Wow. So in addition, I also started building PC-based applications that were, quite frankly, more functional and quicker to deploy than the mainframe systems the department had been using. Uh, and also where those requests for upgrades and enhancements took weeks to get implemented. And I kind of did them real time. And I quickly went from MIS liaison to MIS nemesis. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was the launch of my career, really starting out in a leadership role. And since then, uh, which I'll fast forward quite a bit across what is now a 37 year career I have worked for 10 different organizations of all shapes and sizes across retail, the legal industry, entertainment and media, and now, like you mentioned, automotive sales and financial services.
1: So Warren, I want to kind of drill into your first few days, weeks, months at BuyRider. You know, the first 30 days, I am sure you had a 90-day plan, a lot of us do when we Uh, Start a new adventure like you did. So, talk to us about those first few days and weeks on the job and your 90 day plan. Sure. Uh, Of course, you're right. I I
0: did. In fact, I came into the interview process with a 90 day plan. Uh, You know, my opinion on 90 day plans is what it is. Uh, I think it's (laughs) become both a cliche but table stakes at the same time. If you you come into especially senior leadership roles, C-level roles, and you're not talking in 90 day plan, then, then you're not talking at all. Um, but the fact is outside of some really unique circumstances, uh, what could you really know about the new role that you're about to take on that actually would enable you to construct a plan that was anything but generic and right. very high level, especially when you think about IT? no one's going to disclose and open up the kimono completely to candidates. Uh, you're not going to, you're only going to get to see that when you really come in the door. So in those early days and then construction of that 90 day plan, it's going to be high level at best. Um, and really, you know, at the same time, it's really about your ability to come in and, and investigate, assess plan and implement, which is what most of these 90 day plans talk to. Right. Um, You can do your due diligence, you can do your research on the company, and there can be a degree of relevance and specificity around that stuff that can give you some kind of insight, but I think you're really just scratching the surface. I I really do believe it's truly what lies beneath that is the challenge to be tackled, and you can't know that until you get in. What I think is actually more important than your typical 90-day plan is really uh, more about you and your personal branding and what it is about how you're going to institute change and setting uh, rather than setting any kind of plans. Establishing who you are, your ideals, your philosophies, your style, your boundaries. Uh, this to me is absolutely critical. Uh, you get to make a first impression once. Yes, that's another cliche, yeah, but yeah. I believe it's a very appropriate one. It's not to say you can't you know, deviate course correct as you proceed. But I truly believe the more firmly you plant yourself in your foundation and living what you're putting out there like day one and doing that day in and day out will enable you to be a way more effective leader and garner way deeper respect than you ever could if you kind of fumble your way through.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to dig into that a little bit because I I think the whole concept of personal brand and setting that initial tone is so important coming into a, either a new leadership role or a new company in a leadership role. So what type of work had you done in the past prior to joining BriRider to understand what is Warren's personal brand?
0: Well, like I had mentioned, I
1: I worked for several different organizations in
0: several different industries. And so the advantage to that is I've seen a lot of different things, a lot of different places, a lot of different styles. So it's given me a nice broad background to develop my own style. Um, You know, for the most part, most of my career was, you know, embedded in infrastructure and technologies. And then I had aspects of applications as well throughout there. Uh, so I've had a broad background and being able to see different types of people because there are different types of people in different industries. And so what I think, first and foremost, what it's made me is a leader that can be flexible, one that can be light on his feet and can learn. And as I'll talk to, really not try and duplicate my successes from the past, if you will, or Mm -hmm. duplicate the things that I've done, but instead kind of leverage my experience and be able to play in the situation more fluidly um, because there's no two places that are alike.
1: So before we dig into that aspect of it, I want to touch one more time on that 90-day plan because I think so many of our listeners, uh, they may be looking at beginning a new CIO role, a new IT leadership role, and be developing this plan. When you think about your 90-day plan, when you started at Ryder, what pieces of it fell apart and what pieces of it stuck as you moved forward, as you really got to know the organization? Do you remember? Oh, yeah, of course. It's quite planted in my brain. Uh, <laughs>
0: Uh, I look at what I did over those that 90-day plan and then into my first year across six major areas. Mm-hmm. I think, and I'll reverse your question a little bit. I think what really was key is my focus on people and the organization. Okay. Um, that was wildly, I believe, successful because I believe that is the only place to really start. Yeah. Uh, and that worked well and enabled me to build a baseline organization that I could carry forward. I wouldn't say that I've had any part of my plan that I thought truly just fell apart. Okay. But things that I will also talk to in this plan or what I call landmines is I wish I had paid a bit closer (laughs) attention to some of those things. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Because they have come back to haunt us in various different areas and different flavors.
1: Yep. Yep. Well, let's dig into those uh, aspects then, Warren, because I I think this was such a key part of our conversation that we had a few weeks ago in preparing for this. You talked at length about six topics for IT leaders. So can you run through those six and then let's take a little bit deeper dive into each one of those?
0: Sure. Um, You know, the six we talked about were change for the sake of change.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, The past is the past. People, which we've just kind of touched on, something called First Team, and one that we also just touched on, Landmines, and finally, Process and Procedure.
1: All right. Well, let's dig in for our audience. As you're thinking about those six areas, let's start with change for the sake of change and talk about your, your philosophy and who you are as a leader when you're thinking about that aspect.
0: Sure. You know, let's face it. I think all too often you see new leaders um, come into a role, especially senior ones, and there's a compelling feeling across them that they are going to identify uh, or identify, let's say, what's wrong and what to change. I believe this is motivated by a sense of value that they believe will be derived from instituting change and kind of leaving their mark. hmm I think the overall feeling by most people is that no one is brought on board to leave things as they are or maintain, you know, quote unquote, the status quo. Uh, And I think there are unique situations where you might be, you know, following a leader, for instance, who had a great track record and now they're retiring and you're kind of brought in to follow in their footsteps. And if that's the situation that some of the leaders out there find themselves in, I say, good for you Uh, because most of the time that's not the case. Uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I also believe that swinging the pendulum the other way is not necessarily the answer either. Um, Too much change, too fast is not a good recipe. And your responsibility as a leader is as much identifying what is right as it is identifying what is wrong. You know, focus on that. I think you should not be attempting to replicate your successes, as I mentioned before, but rather kind of leveraging your experience. This is a fresh canvas. It's a fresh painting. Start new. Your effectiveness as a leader is not going to be measured by the quantity of your change, but it's going to be rather measured by the quality of it. Um, there are a number of things that you know you identify that are candidates for change. There's no doubt about that, but you have to go through careful consideration when you're looking at them, you know, get it right the first time is what I'm kind of thinking and avoid backtracking because that's going to have negative consequences on your ability to garner people's confidence. But I will also add, if you wait too long, you'll get the same result. So there's no doubt that this is quite
1: a delicate balance. Right. So let's dig into your next key topic for IT leaders. The past is the past. That that one's kind of intriguing to me. I'd love to to hear your thoughts on on how you interpret that and how you implement that.
0: Well, you, you see this happen all the time. Um, you know, there are plenty of obst- uh, opportunities when you come into an organization to blame obstacles and challenges uh, and early day failures on the poor decisions and you know substandard workmanship from the past administration. Easy uh, target, right? Yeah. Such an easy target. But as easy a target as that is, you must, must avoid it. It'll come back to haunt you. I think regardless of who built it, you own it now. And the quicker you make that apparent to everyone, the better off you're going to be. Yeah In the moments when you know you are potentially backed into a corner around an issue that is you know clearly a legacy issue, I think taking the high road and speaking about it in a very objective way, is your best path. Just showing that you own it, people will get it. Turn the conversation from what happened to what you're going to do about it. And yeah. I think all too often leaders fall into this kind of relentless cycle. And I've seen it of people that managed me. You see it all the time. And it goes on for not just 90 days, Jeff. It goes on for a very long time. I've seen leaders you know, in two years in and still saying, well, that's the that's the issue with that old system. And I didn't do that. It's not going to work
1: anymore. You've got to yeah, take the ownership. Yeah. The past is the past. Yeah, I love that perspective, Warren, because you're you're absolutely right. It really doesn't matter what came before. What matters is you're in charge now. You have to move forward. I, absolutely. I, I like that. So let's shift our attention to the people. I know that uh, people are incredibly important to you—the people that you work with, the people you work for, uh, and the people that you have the opportunity to lead. So, how do you approach the people when you're coming in to a new role like that? Well, again, absolutely, people
0: are paramount to the equation—the uh, the utter the foundation, as far as I'm concerned. You know. IT is looked at. Yes, it's a technology frontier, but it is grounded in people. And if you don't start there, I believe you're on the wrong track. We've all seen the triangle, people, process, and technology. And I believe that's the order in which you should go about paying your attention to. I'm a big fan and of Jim Collins and a kind of a student of good to great And, you know, getting the right people on the bus, the wrong people off the bus and the right people in the right seats and then figuring out where you're going to drive is truly an underlying philosophy. Well, it's his philosophy, but I've kind of taken that on Mm -hmm. and I get it when we come into any new role. You don't get to do these things kind of one at a time. You don't get to do anything uh, in a vacuum. It'd be nice to think that the, the locomotive that we're about to get on. Uh, is going to stop and allow us to get on very neatly with our luggage and everything else, but it doesn't. You actually have to jump on. The train's not stopping. Uh, and, and where you land is where you land, and you don't even know what you're going to get. You could be walking into a, a disaster that day. Right. Um, and so what I'm suggesting, you know, in those early days as you're going through the grind with your new team, you know, you've got work to do, but really in the background, that first and foremost assen- uh, assessment and analysis should be focused on the people of the organization. There's no point, in my opinion, of exploring and defining new technologies, architectures, solutions, or even processes yet until you know that your team is going to be the team that's going to execute on those things. Right. Because if you don't have that, there's no point in doing it. And really, there's a number of ways that you can approach this depending upon your style, but it has to be done. The outcome, I believe, um, will be the same. I mean, you don't have a lot of time to do this either because right after you know big events such as mergers or acquisitions or like a new senior leader coming on board, I believe the expectation within the organization, especially around the people, is change. And the longer you wait to kind of execute on that change, the more people kind of get hypnotized into the idea that maybe there won't be any change. And then when you finally come in and you execute that change, when people aren't ready for it, it's like lighting a firecracker. You know, typically what happens, people put their fingers in their ears. They're waiting for it to explode. They're prepared for it to explode. They're expe- you know, expecting it to explode, and then it doesn't go off. And they remove their e- fingers, and they take a look at it, and they figure it's a dud, and nothing's going to happen, then boom, boom, it blows up. And now their ears hurt, they're shaking, they're scared, they're all those things. It's the same with change. It's just an- another firecracker. And in the beginning, when you join, there's an expectation that you're going to levy change. Yep. And I think the sooner, especially around the people side, that you can get to it, uh, the
1: better. That is good advice. So Warren, as you were talking about people you use the word team often. And so I want to shift to one of your other six topics, that of first team. What do you mean by that? And what things should the IT leader keep in perspective when it comes to first team?
0: Yeah, a first team is a concept that I wish I had learned earlier in my career. It's a simple concept, but I think it's lost on most people. Uh, If you were to ask the question to most leaders, you know, who is your first team? Unless they've been through this concept before, they will likely answer the team they directly oversee and manage. I mean, 95% of the time, that's the answer they're going to give. But the fact is, your first team is the team of your peers. And this is a foreign concept for a lot of people. But I will tell you that by uh, adopting this approach and and cultivating that across all of your teams that you manage, you will get better camaraderie, you will get better partnership, and most of all, you will get better results. When you make it clear to the team that you oversee that your peers are your true partners, and it's not that you don't have the people you're overseeing, you don't have their back, and you're not watching and coaching them. You are. But that The people, your peers, that you have an allegiance with and that when you do that, you break down all of those silos, which in fact, in fact, you crumble them down uh, and you create an environment where the focus is really around company and business deliverables rather than the typical kind of not often, but you see it happen turf wars and positioning. Uh, And so I would recommend any leader coming in, whether the company that they are coming into has adopted this principle or not. When you're coming in and coming into that new role, build those authentic relationships with your peers. Establish that from day one, that you are here to partner with them and deliver together as a team. And I think that when you establish that and you establish those relationships and being the new kid on the block to give that relationship you know, kind of its due, um, when your time comes, you won't have to ask for it in return, because you'll
1: be giving to that relationship first. I love that approach. And that is uh, that is one of the fundamentals of EOS, the entrepreneurial Operating System, the whole concept of first team. I love that. So Warren, let's talk landmines. You mentioned them <laughs> at the outset. What are some landmines that we need to be on the lookout for? And how do you find them? Good question. Uh, We know that in the world of war, landmines are a terrible thing, can be quite
0: devastating and uh, obviously need to be avoided at any cost. But to your point, in order to avoid a landmine, you have to find it. You have to identify it. And that's not an easy task. You know, landmines in the systems and technology world are, are really those accidents waiting to happen. They are those system vulnerabilities, the inadequacies, you know, shortfalls and gaps that when, you know, the planets align, Jeff, and, and they're all exposed, you're left with a major business impact and unfortunately, probably sleepless nights. Uh, yeah. Addressing these issues is oftentimes not the most exciting and sexy thing, right? For not only IT or the business. Um, it's usually a required spend of money and resources where no one really wants to spend. And really, the perception is that it's not business enhancing work, but rather disaster avoidance. And and all too often, I think companies and leadership will choose to uh, roll the dice when they clearly shouldn't. To me, it's imperative in all leaders, not just new leaders, but to all leaders to champion these initiatives. And I would argue that as a new leader, you are probably in the best possible position to do this because you're doing it with fresh eyes, a fresh perspective, and hopefully an audience that is really listening because you are new. Um, Most importantly, I think identifying these risks is not a one-time event. You need some kind of medium that continues to carry that message forward, uh, whether that's an IT quarterly report that you produce or whatever it might be, but you need to carry those risks forward so they aren't first of all, they're forever present and not forgotten because I will tell you that people do have short memories. They will forget. They will ignore if given the opportunity and they can come back to haunt you. And as I alluded earlier, um, I wish I had paid even more attention than I already did coming in, uh, because we had some things bite us that I know had we paid more attention to that, uh, those things would not have happened.
1: Yeah. So let's, uh, let's hit on your sixth topic. Warren, process and procedure.
0: Yeah, um, just like, for instance, documentation, I'm a a student of process and procedure. And I I don't believe that any organization should be riddled with such major red tape that you can't get anything due. But a lack of all structure and construct is not good either. I think a final step as you go through these six bullets uh, is... Ah, uh, for true, and before you actually, you know, do anything with regard to true technological change and enhancement, you need to establish or refine, for that matter, any policies and mm-hmm. procedures and processes that are going to govern your world uh, and the company's world. Uh, depending upon the level of what you know might be in existence when you get there, the amount of work could vary, obviously considerably. Some organizations you might walk into have a really good jump on this, have really good solid process and procedure. Others may have nothing. So the level of work that you may have to put into this, again, could could, uh, vary wildly. Um, But I think regardless, it's imperative to establish the ground rules around things like ideation, governance, change management, communication, and and finally, execution. Uh, One of the biggest challenges that I have seen in organizations, my own, other organizations across my entire career has been the misalignment of expectations. It's no doubt, yeah. and you know, you've seen it. You've you've lived through it. People walking into a meeting room, having a conversation, talking about something, and walking out with entirely different ideas about what was just talked about. And exactly. you know, this is a killer, uh, and one that could dismantle everything that I just previously talked about. If you don't take action on this very early. Establishing the who, the what, the where, and the when in everything that you do as an IT organization and as a partner to the business community uh, is really the glue, in my opinion, that keeps all those relationships healthy and the organization running efficiently and effectively.
1: Warren, those are six outstanding topics for our IT leaders. Change for the sake of change. The past is the past people, first team, landmines, processes and procedures. Those are fantastic points for the new CIO, the new IT leader to pay attention to as they're coming in. Before we get to my final question, let's do talk about the last 30 days. Take us through whatever you can share about your team's readiness, your company's readiness, and what your next steps are in the face of COVID-19?
0: Like everybody else, this has been an incredibly trying time for everyone. There's fear, uh, there's the unknown, there's all of those things. And for us, like any other organization, like any, you know, in a sense, yes, we're automotive sales and we're financial services in the broad spectrum of things. We're retail and we just know how impacted retail has been. Um, yeah, we've had obviously our share of challenges along the way with our stores and uh, statewide shutdowns and all of those things. And you can imagine what has resulted. Yeah, we've had to do the best that we can do. I'd say the the silver lining in all this for Byrider was that we were very prepared for supporting a remote work organization. And I don't think we really understood how well prepared we were until it happened. Because if you had asked me beforehand, I would have said we were prepared, but as it turned out, we were very well prepared. And so in that regard, we were able to respond. And in that response and getting people to work home, you know, definitely gave people more of a comfort. Uh, they felt better about things. They felt safer because there's all of that fear that's been prevalent across everyone. And we've been marching to that beat ever since. Um, we probably have the majority of the office you know, working remotely and it has worked out well. But you know, the financial constraints by all the shutdowns has obviously had an impact on us and we've had to make some tough decisions. We do believe that we've got a very, very strong leadership team across all levels of Byrider. And it's the efforts of that leadership team that is really stepping up, that has really helped this organization kind of weather through this storm. And we believe at the end, we will come out and I think a lot of people are talking about this will be coming out and returning to probably not what was once what something we called normal. I think there's going yeah. to be a, a brand new normal for so many people. Yes. Um, and I think that will even extend itself into the educational system that people are going to take a step back from all this and say, Hey, wait a minute. What did we learn from this in a positive way that can help us right. be right. more effective, more efficient, and a better organization across the board.
1: So Warren, we are out of time, my friend, but before we wrap, I always love to end with a call to action. So what is one thing that you would tell our listeners to do today after listening to this conversation?
0: I would say that they have to really pay close attention to developing their brand going into a new role. It is really establishing who they are first and foremost, and then executing on that brand from there. Uh, I'd like to also add, and completely flipping the table here into what we just talked about, the empathy that is required to really carry an organization forward. You can be a strong leader. You can be a decisive leader. You can have the bar raised very, very high for people. That doesn't mean uh, that you can't be empathetic and sympathetic to people's needs at the very same time. Having that balance will make you a true leader and way more effective.
1: Great advice, Warren. I, th- I think that advice holds true for our listeners who may be entering into a new role or to our listeners that are veterans. So I want to thank you so much for taking time, especially in this current environment in which we're operating in right now, taking the time to talk to us today, Warren. I really appreciate it. So thank you, man. Thank you. No problem. I appreciate you being here and thank you for having me. To our listeners... If you have a question or want to learn more, go to intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tunn for Warren Leonard. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.